Hey everybody, just a reminder that UNCSA is having a homecoming this year. That's right, a proper homecoming, and it is occurring on the campus September 28th to October 1st. That's right, the last weekend of September, and we are going to have all sorts of different events and things going on. It's going to be a blast. At the Elephants will be there officially. I will be there celebrating my 10-year college reunion and we hope that you can all join us thank you very much you know what let's let's just get to the episode hey what's up man hey man how you how you doing i'm i'm actually i'm i'm pretty good right now that's good. Yeah. Welcome yeah, back to At the Elephants, and thank you for doing the show again. And, uh, you know, everybody listening, I know what you're thinking. You're like, this guy again. And you're fucking right, this guy again. This is my show. And if you don't want to listen to the show, you can look, you know, this is like, I've heard there's other podcasts, so go do something else. Um, but if you don't have that shitty attitude, welcome to another conversation with my best friend in the world, uh, Brandon Harris, episode three. What's up? What's up, everybody? What's going on, man? Enjoy. Uh, hello. <laughs> We're gonna soak beautiful, in it. Beautiful day here in New York City, Brooklyn. I love that. Um, yeah, um, last time you were here, we talked about career. We like really went hard on career, and we talked about to refresh people's memories. I always do when someone comes back to the show, as best I can. Uh, I'll say first and foremost, go back and listen to the other episodes are very good. Um, and it will save me the trouble of, of, uh, of attempting to bring nuance to a recap, but the things that I think are important to bring up as we go forward, uh, you know, Brandon and I grew up together and, um, live on different coasts, but also went to school of the arts at the same time. He's the reason I went there. And in the last episode, we talked about uh, career, specifically in Brandon's case, kind of the the path, right, of that has been trodden quite a few times of North Carolina School of the Arts to New York City, service industry in service of paying the bills until we get the acting to pay the bills. And his journey of that overall, I think, is a great one uh, to engage with. Um, you know, I was, I was watching, um, this is going to blow your mind, man, but I was watching friends the other day and, uh, I know this is like a new show I'm trying to get into. I'm being very sarcastic when people don't know this show or can't even at least see my background to get the vibe. But, um, I was watching that episode where Joey gets the job in Las Vegas that he thinks is going to be the huge movie that like sets him on the map. And I was like, there were so many parallels of the story that you told me about going out there. And there's like Chandler's literally sitting next to him in the car. And he's like, no, I support you hundred percent. I'm just not sure that this movie is the movie that's going to do what you think it's going to do for you, but I think you should do it. And he's like, get the fuck out of the car. Like you're not supporting me. Why would you, why would you crap on my enthusiasm? Yeah. He like kicks him out on the GW bridge makes him walk up. <laughs> and, uh, and he gets to Las Vegas and he's literally out in the desert and they're like, yeah, we're out of money, man. Turns out the movie's not very good, but if you get any money, let us know. We'll keep making the movie. <laughs> and he's kind of left holding some balloons alone in the desert. Like, Oh no. And then he has to go work at Caesar's palace as a 
as like a centurion guard or something. And I <laughs> <Yeah>. was, <laughs> I was, and it leads to like the bigger Vegas plot line that is far more memorable on that show. But I, I, I kind of didn't think about that when you were telling me that story about how there, there are these kind of maybe tropes and TV shows or something, but we talked about it last time about how it doesn't feel like the world sets you up for, for that. How do you set someone up for that? For like you, you're working hard at a thing, you're kind of waiting for a break and then something comes along that feels like a break, but how the fuck would you know? Cause you've never really had a break before. And so you're like, it feels, feels like a, maybe not the break, but like a break. And you're like trying to have that, do those mental gymnastics. And I, the more I thought about it, dude, the more I think the way you went into it was right. I really think so. And I think you're kind of even blind optimism. I want that on set as a director, you know, and I, I urge people to go back and listen to the episode, but the story Brandon told about what I've basically just described, he gets this gig, he goes out to make this movie. He's got a, you know, lead in the movie. He's doing all this. He's really hyped about it. He thinks it's a big deal. And as he's working on the film, he's slowly kind of realizing this is maybe not going to be a great movie, but I have to say, dude, even if I'm making a movie and it's not going great or it's on a track to be bad, I don't want a bunch of actors who know that. Right. I don't, I don't, I, I don't need that. I need, I mean, unless you're really collaborative people that I'm like, Brandon, we're fucked. What do you think? How do we fix? I mean, but that's different. But if you're right. just hiring a bunch of actors and you're out there, I don't want that kind of, I don't know if you've read on like the stuff Jenna Ortega said about working on Wednesday where she was like, I felt like the writers didn't know what they were doing. I had to like fix it as the actor. And I'm right. like, I don't want that. I don't want that cynicism. I want that kind of blind optimism. I want trust that I'm going to figure it out all the way until we fucking wrap. Then you can feel however the fuck you want because your job as an actor is to trust me and to do it. So I, man, I took me a little processing, but I really admire the way that you approached that. And I think as an artist with a very specific role who wasn't the director, who wasn't the writer, who wasn't the producer of the movie, bro, I think you did exactly what the fuck you should have done on the tail end, maybe preparing yourself different process, but I, well, I think you got to, well, like, um, you know, they always say you got to treat any script you're doing like a Shakespeare, like any, no matter if like, if it's a, I used to do these, uh, these little, um, uh, screenwriting event things where over the course of 10 weeks, uh, these uh, adult mentors would go and mentor fifth graders in writing screenplays, like short little like five to 10 minute screenplays. And then professional actors would come and it's, this still goes on in LA all the time. It's called like young storytellers. Um, and they the professional actors come and they perform the screenplays in front of the entire school uh, that these kids wrote. And like- Treat the words with the same care you gotta they treat would. the words with the same kind of care and respect and like, like like uh, gravi gravity, you know, and um, uh, at the same time, you know, understanding what style you're in, like, like, uh, but yeah, it's like you, you can't control, you can't control mo so much of what's going on uh, in a, a film or a television. Um, and whether or not the final product is good is so not in your control. You could, you get to control how good your performance is. And you got to do your your goddamnedest. I mean, I I I wish that I could have kept my spirit up the entire time, because um, mm. in, in, it because it doesn't 
it didn't help. Like, like there's this other actor who in that film who plays uh, Groff, who's really good. Like, I watch him and I'm like, man, you're great in this horrible movie. I don't think I'm good. And I wish mm. that I could have gone back and like maintained, uh, maintained uh, a like, shrug, like shrug at me like, hey, man, I don't have. I had too many expectations on the final outcome, right? And in the end, I kind of really needed to let go of control and be like, hey, man, the movie might suck, but I'm going to do my best to be really good in it no matter what to the very end. And I you think I got bogged My theory on that is you do that anyway. You do that relinquish of expectations, good or bad or indifferent. You have to do it no matter what. I even agree. If you, yeah, even if you know it's going to be good, quote, quote. And you're right. right. Like right. fucking don't walk away with that shit yeah don't 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 think to yourself like oh it's gonna be good so i should be good or it's gonna be bad so i can be bad none of that matters be good just be fucking good just be just be the best you can and the rest is out of your control and then move try to move on to the next project and so i had a lot to learn from i had a lot to learn from that project like you know i might look back eventually and be like hey man that was actually a really good learning lesson and how to handle disappointments and where to put your expectations and um, all that other kind of stuff. Funnily enough, just yesterday I was doing the stage combat workshop uh, here in New York City. Pickle Brawl. Dale Gerard came up, uh, did uh, did uh, Leighton um, uh, Schlanger uh, organized it, and one of the guys who was there is kind of an older guy, a friend of a friend of Dale's. Uh, was we uh, mentioned like Joe Travers, who's a who's a stage combat direct, fight director, and I was like, I worked with him on this really bad movie and he's like wait did you do tower of silence and i was like yes i was one of the leads and he's like i thought i recognized you i worked on that movie that was the worst movie i've ever worked on and i was like i know i'm not surprised he, and you're like we have that in common we have that in common henceforth we referred to it as the worst movie ever right. uh uh that, are you familiar with the room tommy Wiseau's the room oh yeah yeah, yeah is yeah. it in that I, ballpark almost like not quite. it's a little more cohesive uh, and at least you can tell they try to tell co- a story yeah yeah it doesn't reach the level of terrible that it's i mean that's like, the greatest bad movie of all time let's not hold ourselves terrible. to the goat but it's in that yeah, ballpark yeah, yeah. of you'd get together yeah. to talk shit about it to enjoy it i think i might have mentioned like they were in talks about like the new because i think mystery science theater 3000 was like coming back with a revamp they were in talks with mystery science theater 3000 about them watching the movie to make fun of it right like that's like how bad we're talking but Brandon, i don't think they ended up doing it fucking but... love mystery science theater 3000 oh, no, no, no 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 you i get wish there. That they had, I, right. I wish that they had done that like i do um but that uh, would uh, yeah, be amazing Let's okay. So let's move on about that. It's just kind of a thought I had in between the last time we talked and now. And um, one of the other things I want to kind of move to, and it's adjacent to this because I think as artists, our lives are intertwined with our work, often not always, but often to a larger degree than many other professions. You know, you and I both uh, are the children of parents who largely could leave work at work. You know, your parents are pharmacists. My parents are in the automotive repair industry. And while it may be long hours, there's only so much pharmacy work you can do at your house unless you own the pharmacy, which to be fair in your family is part of the uh, thing as well. But, um, you know, fixing cars, you fix the car, six o'clock rolls around, you go home, the car's is not with you at home. <laughs> you can't do the work. It's not like a lawyer, a teacher, a lot of people who can like bring their paperwork home and keep doing it. 
And when you work in one of those businesses where you can leave it at home a little easier or leave it at work a little easier, you end up with um, this kind of clear option to leave work at work personally and let your personal life be personal. So it's like you've got your colleagues at work and then you've got your family at home and your friends at home. And those are separate groups of people. And maybe you meet a friend at work and they become a friend or maybe you meet your wife at work, they become family. But mostly it's separate. I feel like in art, and specifically in collaborative art, music, theater, things of this nature. You can still do that. You can still do it. You can still live life that way. You can make your art while you're at rehearsal, while you're on set, while you're whatever, and then you go home and just done. But it is so much fucking easier to let it bleed together and have your home life and your work life be like the same fucking thing. You work on the play in your backyard. Your wife is in it. You're, you know, it's like you're all kind of in the shit all the time. I have so much admiration for the community building skills that you have. And I want to dig into what I think or what you think uh, are the sources of that, where the skill set versus just the inclination to do so comes from, because I think that's a big part of it. And I want to dig into uh, a little bit also of why, despite your tremendous community building skills and our deep relationship that goes back so long, and my desire and your desire for us to spend time together, why I have never clicked into any of the communities that you've built is very interesting to me. I've spent time resentful about it. I want to make it clear before we even go further, I'm not anymore. It's not something that I'm like, oh, fuck, this is a drag. Because the more and more I spent time with the communities that you built, the more I was like, it's not my community. It's something to hold against anybody. They're just not my people. That he's he's pulling people in on qualities, experiences, and and perspectives that he has that they have that I just don't share with those people. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but let's kind of take this apart piece by piece. I'll start kind of at the beginning, like I said. I'll paint this picture, and then you start to fill in some of the gaps for me. We're growing up together. You moved to Austin from Lake Jackson, as we mentioned before, in fifth grade beginning of fifth grade by the I want to say the end of middle school really not really before then it's like three or four years of going to the same school district kind of because your sister who's older than you but really because of you your house becomes the fucking place for your group of friends and our group of friends largely not the only place but like one of the main places we would go morning, noon, night, overnight, Brandon's house. Why do you think that happened versus other places? And then the, the first follow-up to that, just the first two questions I'll start with is, why do you think that happened? And what about that experience made you want to nurture it and keep it going? Um, question. Uh, I think it's, uh, there's, there's a couple different prominent factors. Uh, one of the things was that um, growing up, my dad hosted parties, like big family get-togethers. Mine too. Everybody, everybody hanging out. Uh, everybody's invited, like 30, 40 people coming all over. The adults are drinking beer. The kids are drinking way too many Dr. Peppers. 
and running in circles and uh and swimming playing in the mud and, and like and then whenever it's time to crash like from time to sleep there are people asleep on every surface there's like right. there's multiple beds but there's like the kids are on the couch there's a pallet on the on the floor on the carpet made up of blankets and pillows and some of the kids are over there and so like to start with like like growing up in a very an atmosphere where you're very comfortable with a lot of people mm-hmm. um I, I want to pause you before we even go farther because part of my point of this whole thing is comparing us a little bit. I had the same experience. My mm-hmm. dad's parents and my mom's parents were both the people in that whole huge families, huge families. Those were the houses you went to. My dad's parents and my mom's parents were like Thanksgiving, Christmas, family reunions, go to them, go to them. So I grew up, same thing, pallets, every, yeah. we're on the same page right now. Yeah. Keep going. And so, and then, and my dad was always extremely, extremely social. He had friends. Gregarious every, guy, a, he, yeah. he, he owned two pharmacies in the town of Lake Jackson, Texas. Everybody knew George Harris. And you just watched, you go into any, go in the gas station, go in here, go in here. You'd be like, hey, how you doing? Turn on the char- charm. Very charming guy. Um, and so that was kind of one of my, you know, uh, like role, my role model, like yeah. my dad in that, in that regard. Um, and then I think, uh, I, when I moved, got to move up to Austin, um, felt pr- I felt pretty lonely for a while. Like you, you and I became close friends. Um, uh, but I didn't, but there weren't a lot of other people who I felt super close with. Obviously, my, obviously Moses, this guy, oh, uh, the, uh, it's like the seventh grade. Anyways. Um, but we got involved. I got involved through my sister in the community theater. Sam Bass Community Theater, which um, I don't know if you've ever talked about here on the show or not, but like it's a place like and I discovered Sam Bass Community Theater in the middle of seventh grade Um, and seventh grade was okay, but uh, I immediately was like, oh, my God, I get to do plays. And I was like, I want to be here as much as I can. Like there's not a role for me in the next play. Can I run the lights? Can I run the sound? Can I build the set? Can I stage manage? Whatever the hell. I just want to be here because there's all these really kind and wonderful adults who are talented and make me feel valued and accepted and safe and like I have a a place to express myself uh, on the stage. And then cut to like eighth grade, which is like the worst year of my life, right? Like getting bullied all the time called faggot every day um uh and then i was at the, like every night i was at the community theater like i was the same bastion you joined me you then you started coming and joining around or i think around that time during mm-hmm. eighth grade um and but i did like every show that season like anything please like put me on anything uh lights sound whatever um and it had the combined effect of like the community is like half, if not more than half, of what I really loved. Like I loved acting; acting was fun. But be the com- feeling like these these people that felt that made me feel safe and like valued and seen and uh, and like okay about who I was and like a level of care and attention that I didn't feel even feel like I was getting from any of my family. Um, you know, Lynn Beaver who would literally drive and pick me up before rehearsal. She'd have a Dr. Pepper for me because she knew that my mom wouldn't buy them for me. And we'd 
like have a rehearsal and then she drive back and, and drop us off. And I know you've had a lot of the same experiences with, with literally with, that woman did that yeah, for like, probably a dozen of us. Yeah. And she, and that's life changing. Yeah. Like that level of care and attention. And so, and I loved the community. I mean, so much of like in my first year, like literally the first show I did there, I met someone named Will Story. Who is like end up running the the lights for our production of uh, of uh, Christmas Carol or or the, the next one whatnot whatever it was um, Will yeah. and, whatever it was Will and I have been friends ever since and he literally lives in this apartment and we've lived together in New York City for ten years yeah um, uh, and so I think that that true value of community and it came out of feeling safe and feeling seen and feeling valued and i the 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 contrast of that with feeling so bullied and small and uh, uh, everything else alone and like lonely at school built this like real desire for community and like an empathy for people who feel pain like hurt and around that time like but I started getting known as like the theater kid. And I like, man, I leaned into that. I was like, there's this eighth grade out. is when we're begging yeah. for an identity. And I everyone just an gave identity. you one. <laughs> They're like, he's the theater kid. And I was like, yes, I am. So I, from middle of eighth grade until the middle of 10th grade, I was the one man beatnik revolution. I wore black turtlenecks. Right. Black you mentioned slacks. that your this first in, episode. This is in Texas. Yeah. Uh, and... And then, like, I got to high school, and Amanda was uh, a my sister was a senior in the Dune Theater, and I was a freshman, and and I and that I, I quickly started kind of gaining some degree of reputation status as the the actor kid, the actor kid, uh, and uh, within like by like the tenth by even by tenth grade, I kind of started having a lot of like, you know, popularity and status because of my acting ability, and I remember thinking like. I remember when the popular kids would shit on me and made me feel terrible. And I was like, if I ever get like popularity or status, mm -hmm. I'm going to shit on no one. And I'm going to make everyone feel awesome about themselves and lift everyone up. And like, you know, like, so for, for like parties and stuff at my, I was like, I want everybody to feel welcome and safe. And like when I'm a junior or senior, all freshmen are like, everyone's fucking, be fucking invited. Right. And like, you've mentioned that before. And I, this is what I'm curious about because this is going to get into our bigger theme here. Why not just do what most people do and accept that hazing is how it works I got hazed, so you're going to get hazed. So when I'm in charge, we'll haze, and that's just what you do. And you got through your rough time, and it was painful, and it was hard, but that's part of growing up. And when you get in charge, it's not your job to soften everything up for these new kids. I'm, I hope everyone's recognizing my sardonic tone. I don't agree with the way I'm speaking. But I. that's what most people do, buddy. Most people don't encounter that struggle. You know, I heard people, I heard someone once put it very simply, and I love this very much, because it's the difference between you and I and a lot of other people that we know, and especially people we grew up with, even people in our own families. There are people who suffer. And then when they see other people suffer, they point out that that's how it goes. 
then there are people who suffer and when other people suffer, they say, well, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> so they try to prevent it. They try to get ahead of the train instead of saying, oh, getting run over by trains is how you fucking get tough. Um, I think there is such a thing as, as a, you know, eliminating competition. I think there is such a thing as like the value of like Darwinism and a little bit of like, let's all fucking see who's the best, you know, meritocracy. I value these things a lot. I'm working stand-up comedy sometimes, man. It's a big deal, fucking deal. Um, however, you were faced with the suffering and instead said, if I am ever within, it's within my capacity and it's my responsibility, I'm going to choose to eliminate suffering rather than pass it on. Why do you think you're like that? Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard, hard to say. Like some people were incredibly kind to me. I think so. I was raised in, you know, private Southern Baptist school. Right. And the Baptists I, kind of do the other thing I'm talking about. The what Christianity is supposed to be is not what Christianity mostly is, right? Like, and I think one of the reasons I left organized religion is that I didn't think that for the most part it lives up to its ideals at all. Right. And like, Best but like plans, as they say, you know, uh, this. I do think that I think that there are certain core tenets of the like beliefs in the Christian faith that I really vibed with and really believed in to do to this day and literally left organized religion because I didn't feel like it was representative of what those beliefs actually are, which are like I think main, you're right. I think the like, fact that you're you're started in Christianity, but you had this prickliness towards it, which is like I appreciate that you guys are like pick people up when they fall and help out the needy. And that's all great. But you're also like judgmental of people who don't fuck with you. And you're also like saying these group of people who are like this don't deserve love because of X, Y, Z, or this natural impulse I'm having as a human person should be suppressed and denied. Like there's other stuff that I'm like, no, then you get to mm -hmm. the community theater and you're like, Oh fuck. You guys believe in all the helpful good shit, but then you let everyone be who they are. You're real yeah. Christians. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. And like, I, I think that the power, like the one of the core teachings within Christianity that I truly believe in, while not identifying as a Christian, uh, is forgiveness. Which is forgiveness right. is the idea of, of the hurt stops with me, right? Like, like. You know, you can throw out a bunch of like cliches, but you know, an eye for an eye makes the whole world leaves the whole world blind, kind of thing. But like, literally, like if hurt people hurt people, and if you're always taking, you know, if 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 you take in trauma or pain or suffering or whatnot, and then think, well, okay, then I deserve, like, the world deserves to be hurt as well because I was hurt, like, and everyone else deserves to be hurt just as much as I'm hurt, or like, there's no reason why I should be better than this because it's always true this way. It's like, no, the the idea of forgiveness is the hurt stops here. The hurt stops with me. Like, and I'll take a bunch of hurts. And like, don't get me wrong, doesn't mean you have to be a pushover, but like unnecessary suffering and unnecessary, causing unnecessary pain and things like that nature just because it happened to you and you're like, the world needs to be fair. It happened to me, so it needs to happen to other people. It's like, the world is not fair. It does not have, it does not have to be fair. And like, there are people can say like, it needs to be fair to justify continuing negative things. It's like, 
no, let the world be unfair in terms of you got treated worse than you treat others. That's okay. And it's I mean, chaos. I, I, be uh, kind. That's one of my yeah, favorites. Now, like one of my like in tenth grade, I remember at the community theater, I got to do Man of La Mancha, and yeah. that play really freaking spoke to me a lot. Yeah. And this you idea, took that play way more seriously than a lot of other people in that play, maybe even that had bigger parts than you. Yeah, like I remember the idea. The idea of the impossible dream and, like, there's a nobility in, like, trying to be better than you have been in the past, trying to be better than the environment that created you. Or maybe and, even trying to be better than what you think is possible. Yeah, and striving. Like, That's continuing to strive. Part. Yeah, continuing to strive for the impossibly good. Well, and it, but while knowing that you're not gonna totally succeed, like I've fucking fucked up and been shitty to people, like but keep yeah. On but trying when you see that crazy and, like, asshole dying, and they're like, "You never got there. How do you feel?" And he's like, "How do I feel? I chased it, motherfuckers!" Like he's so, like that mentality of like, you know, I mean, we we don't have to get political with it at all. But that's one of the reasons why I was so lukewarm about politics before and now i'm not gonna lie after the rise and fall of the bernie movement because it felt mm. like for the first time someone was trying to do shit that couldn't be done but they were trying to do it because they thought you know if i shoot for a thousand i might hit 75 you know like i might we might get something done if we have the thought to think bigger than what could happen so that we're constantly compromising between eh and eh you know and i i agree with you man i think so let's let's backtrack a little bit and just kind of timeline this a little bit as well because, you know, I think we're now on the same page about this. You have kind of a, an idealism and optimism built into you where you, you I think like me think if at the core of everything we're doing there's a chance that nihilism is right and none of this matters. But while we're here, let's fucking do something and. If we're going to do something while we're here, why not try to fill it with kindness and positivity and optimism? And uh, I appreciate that, you know, paying it forward. So you're, you're that kind of person when you're young. But here's where the divergence happens that I'm interested in between the two of us, because we both had a lot of the experiences you're talking about. Started in Christianity, straight away from it, found community theater, uh, found in that community theater, the community that they were trying to give us in church, the family that we were both families that we were coming from that were felt like they were always falling apart. This one was working hard to be together. And we're on that same path, but you feel like for some reason you take on that mantle of the host. My dad was the host at the party too. And I hosted parties and when we lived together I had, I had fun doing them together but I have this kind of need for isolation maybe or this need for um quiet for privacy for a slower pace um the world feels very noisy to me and so the amount of times I can have 20 people over at my place to create more noise is limited but you always you have seemed to have this um, relentless desire to have people around in large numbers, and I think 
that's always been kind of interesting to me and a, a very curious thing to me about you. I mean, a big part of it for me is I was always trying to get laid. It's very hard to get laid in a group. I need a one-on-one. So I, I play best one-on-one just as a person. If we're talking about like the Sims, I'm trying to build that little green relationship, friendship bar up. I need to just click those interactions between one person. And I feel like I'm not, um, I don't know if I'm making progress with people socially when I'm in a big group. I worry about that kind of thing. Um, where do you think that comes from? Is there a, is, do you think there is a, uh, an aversion or a fear of the aloneness, the stillness, the silence that I crave, or is it that, is it the opposite that it's not, you're not pushed away from the isolation. You're just so drawn towards having all those other people around all the time. I, th- I think it's the latter. I've, I've given that a lot of thought of, over the years of like, am I, am I scared of being alone? Right. Um, I don't think it's that. I, th- I really think it's that I'm so drawn to people. And um, and I th- so one of the things that I've been invested in since I was very young, or, or since, well, not very young, but like since I started kind of figuring out who the hell I am, was closing the distance between my like the mask and my authentic self like the sure. mask that you put on the mask that you put on around people right like in public like your uh-huh. kind of public persona and like your private persona i was always very interested in how do i be as authentic as possible in a way that's like where the distance between that mask and that self is closer and closer and closer until it's uh marginal until some until it's, it's marginal and like around different Obviously, people who represent different things to you, like in the business. Got to code switch, man. Grandma's not girlfriend. Yeah, we can all code switch, right? But trying to, on average, more often wear less of a mask and feel more uh, organically just myself and at ease with that. And, like, I remember in college at one point I wrote down – I had, like, a light bulb moment where I was, like, uh, a, a thing that I have to work on. I have to, and it's going to be a long time in the making, is to not need the validation of other people. And I wrote that down in like big fucking bold letters at some point because I recognized like just how much of even my like why of like being an actor, uh, all this other stuff. And I was like, I realized like that is a quality that is going to compromise my ability right. to be authentic. Right. And like, right. um, and so I think, I think a big part of it is that I think in a large part, I have succeeded at, closing the distance of public face versus authentic face so that being around people doesn't feel like it costs me energy mm. right because i'm not putting on any kind of mask i don't have to put on it's a game face to, to be around people it's it, it, it it's not work at all like it's easy right. and i've worked really hard and don't get me wrong i mean we can all get insecure at times like obviously when we had a conversation i was insecure about my my quality as an actor but I don't feel very insecure about my quality as a human being. Mm. Um, and I quite like myself and not in a thing in an arrogant way, in an authentic, genuine way. Like, I think I really like who I am. And uh, and so I find it very easy to be around other people because from the from the core gut of me, I'm like, I, I'm I'm a good guy and I like myself. And so I don't have to put on any front to get you to like me because if you right. don't like me, then... I don't know. That's probably a reflection of your own insecurities. 
Let me get like this, yeah, no, a hundred percent. That might sound 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 arrogant. Well, and you also might so. just not be someone's taste. That's a thing yeah, too. Yeah, that's fine. Like, that's fine. And that you can't take personally because you shouldn't adjust yourself to other people's tastes, especially if you're coming from an authentic place. That's kind of another question that I have for you. And I, I, just, I really I just finished reading this book called uh, "The Courage to Be Disliked." And I really liked it a lot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it another read and do some highlighting and stuff. I appreciate but, that. I feel like I'm on my road to writing the <laughs> sequel to that book. I, <laughs> I have. Um, that's a that's another thing that I've always noticed as a difference between us, is like. I felt like you and I have always had very different ideas about. I think we both had that d disease to please for a really long time in a really serious, like deep way, but they were just about different things. I think we had self-esteem in different categories. And I think they're maybe the opposite. Cause like you just said, you're like, I've always doubted, you know, have that doubt as an actor, but I don't have a lot of those doubts as a person. Cause I try to be a good person. Uh, not me, man, the opposite for the longest time. I was like, I know I'm talented. I don't have any debate about like, I, cause people fucking tell me constantly everywhere I go. They're like, you're so funny. You're so insane. Oh my God, you should do this. You'd be like, my parents, you're funny. You're smart. You're funny. You're smart over and over. I get it. I'm talented. And I watch other people. I think I'm better most of the time in the things I'm trying to do. Sure. I don't have any confidence that I'm a good person that people like. That's very different now. You know, we're both talking about this at 35 versus, you know, 25. Um, but I think that's interesting how that kind of motivates and pushes people to feel differently about themselves and the way they relate. It's so funny that you say it's not work to be around other people and you genuinely enjoy it, especially now because you are not fucking with insecurities about yourself. I've, and this is how I have, I have trouble relating to people. Because I think the thing you just said is what a lot of people go through. A lot of people are like, they can't be in a room because they're too worried about what everybody thinks about them. Get that. Heard that. Empathize, sympathize. But don't experience that myself. I'm arrogant. I think I have value. I know I have value. I know I'm funny. I know I'm smart. I don't have to be the greatest of all time. But I'm not confused about where on the spectrum I'm at. I'm on the better side of being good at the things I try to do. I know that. And I'm, and at the end, I'm not overly concerned with whether or not people have a problem with my confidence about that either. I mean, if you think I'm an arrogant shit, that's okay. I kind of am. That's okay. But what I have instead and what makes it feel like work, and we talked about this in your first episode too, this is the thing that stresses me out about social situations it's one of the reasons why i struggle to click with some of your friends that i tried to kind of you know assimilate into when i lived in new york and other social groups tv shows uh, i've worked on crews casts and i don't know how to fix this man if you have any thoughts on it I'm, i'd be curious but it also seems like it's one of those things where like you just don't face the same problem that i do my wife doesn't either and that's i am not interested in most conversations I don't find them interesting. Uh, most of what it feels like people want to talk about feels like small talk to me. And I'm waiting to talk about something real. And then sometimes when I bring up real stuff, it's off-putting to people because they're like, that's, they'll say things like, ooh, we're getting deep. I'm like, I just want to talk about something fucking interesting, not like, 
the weather the other day, whatever. Like, this is a waste of time. I can listen to a podcast if I want to hear other people talk about boring shit. And so I have a kind of selfish attitude about like, I want to be entertained a little bit when I am interacting with other people. And if I don't find them entertaining, they don't make me laugh. Their stories don't interest me. You know, something like if there's nothing there, then I just don't, man, my ADD kicks in hard. And I'm like, I, then I'm not paying attention to them. Then I'm being a bad friend. I've noticed all this over time. And so for me, I err on the side of like, I just won't hang out with people that much. And I'll find the one or two people that do entertain me and spend time with them. But then later, like five years later, I'm like, I don't have that many friends. <laughs> and it's not, but I look at my habits and I'm like, well, that shouldn't surprise you, kid. But I don't know how to fake it. And I don't even feel an impulse to want to. I have this useless urge of like, everyone be more interesting. <laughs> how the fuck am I supposed to get that done? I will never. That's impossible. So then I end up in this kind of limbo where I'm like, I wish I had like a big group of like five to 10 friends to like see every month or go do a event or something like that. But I just don't really have that group. Even when we had my wedding party, which you were in, almost everyone in the party was like from a different little walk of my life. Mm -hmm. And they barely knew each other because I make one-on-one -on -one connections with people. Groups are very hard for me. And you've known me for longer than anybody else that's not my family. What are your thoughts on that, having observed it? I don't often make that show the show about me, but it's episode three, so I don't care. Hmm, that's a very, that's a very interesting question. Let me think about it in return. Because my brain goes to how, how I operate and then how they might be different. Um, right. Well, does it track uh, with you when I say that that's my experience in groups? Like when you've watched me try to participate or you see my frustration socially, does that sound like what you were watching me go through? Or does it seem like yeah. a surprise of like, oh, I had no idea? No, no, no. That 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 makes sense to me. Like, um, and and yet I do this fucking so show, much, man. And, <laughs> and so much of well, and and so much well, but you you literally talked about how one on one conversations are how you want to interact with people. This is, is, a, is a further expression of that, right? Like, let's yeah, get it deep. Is. Let's talk. Let's talk about real shit. And so that's yeah. what this is. Yeah. And um, I look at small talk as like a game that you play, and if you win, you get to the real shit. And mm. it's like a it's like a seduction, and it's like a dance. And right. I think it I'm really feel good. Tedious at, to you. No, because I think I'm really good at seducing people into feeling safe and not to take advantage of seduction is kind of like a no, a I understand words, what you're saying, though. Yeah. but like to put people at ease. And I think I am too one on one like this like, for a podcast. Well, it's also well, like in groups, I what I loved, uh, you know, I, one of the reasons I love hosting parties, hosting things together is I'm like. When I love like I have different friends that I think are awesome and great, I'm like. Your you guys' insecurities and stuff might be the only thing in the way of you guys thinking each other is awesome too. So like, right. let's find a way to get past uh, those things and for you two to become really good friends. And one of the things I've always taken so much joy in is like, uh, m like my friends, my friend groups mixing and then becoming genuine, real friends with each other. That's Dude, something that's it just clicked for like, me. It clicked for me. I, I, you tell me if this is right you sympathize with their situation because you're like, 
I know why you guys aren't talking about real shit. You're having small talk because you're insecure about who you are. And once you let that go, then you guys can have a real conversation. And you're like helping grease those wheels because you're like, I've been there, kid. I've never known what the fuck that's like to Mm. doubt myself of whether or not I'm going to say something funny or smart. If I say something funny in a group and it doesn't land, I, in my head, I'm like, ah, I get excited about trying again. I'm not like, oh, no, I'm not funny. They don't like me. I'm like, no, I'm fucking funny. How many times do I have to make people laugh to know that? I know that. And then when other people have that fucking hang up, like you just talked about, I don't know how to help them along. I'm like, just join me on the other side. Can you just talk to me about an interesting thing? I don't know how to help you feel good about you. Just feel good about I get impatient. I'm like, just feel good about you so we can talk. Well, can I, because I remember... Because at some point in like probably high school, high school, college, I remember a point at which you kind of made the decision of like, I'm going to stop doubting myself. Like yeah. I have to be, I have to like believe in myself more than fucking anybody ever. And you really got into Weezer because they were very much like their music's about like, sure, my dick is boy, so big and fucking like, all like yeah. you know, like just like I'm fucking awesome. And it serves you really, it serves you very like really well uh, because self-doubt writ large doesn't really help us well that Um, was always that just to put a little extra asterisk next to that that was always there inside me but people like my dad other people in my family the second you were like hey i did well they're like "Ooh, look who's like patting themselves on the back there's a big like don't fucking ever give yourself credit where i'm from while they're like you're so smart you're so funny you're so talented but i'm not allowed to say it And so I spent this struggle for years being like, am I allowed to believe in myself or not? And then you're right. I went through a phase where I was like, I knew I was great. I'm just going to fucking, I'm going to own it. And if people don't like it, fucking suck a dick. Cause I'm tired of going back and forth between like, is it okay to like me? Crazy. You're right though. I did go through a phase where I finally doubled down and I said, I'm not going to question this anymore. I I was sure of it though. I wasn't like a kid who didn't believe in himself and I found Weezer and I was like, I am great. It was no, that, no, it, it, wasn't it like, gave me permission yeah. to be a little more yeah. arrogant, a little bit more uh, bravado with who I was. And I think that one of the things is like I think that you successfully built confidence in a really great way by being like, fuck that voice of doubt. I can't listen to it. Um, mm. And I built it in a different way of like I'm going to continue trying to build up my self-belief but I'm not going to completely like I'm not going to completely 100% ignore the voice of doubt because sometimes those doubts might like have something have a legitimate thing to say. Sometimes like you know what if I'm going down the path of becoming more deceptive person like like right 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 like like you there can't is, lose introspection completely while saying fuck it right. to that guy. Yeah, you're right. Right. Um, and I don't think I did so, that long run. Right. And, uh, and, but I think that because I've always, I never lost touch with what it felt like to feel scared, anxious right. or insecure. Right. Um, and like to, the, to be afraid while, like, while, while also cultivating within myself confidence and self-love not based on ignoring my self-doubts being able to talk with them and be like i see what you're saying i don't i don't believe that still think i'm uh, you know um and because of that it allows me i can see 
all I can like and feel the doubt getting in the self doubt getting in people's way all the time, like in life. And I just want to reach past it and be like, you need to believe, like, you need to see what I see. You're clearly an awesome person. Just let me just pull you out. I believe in you. Like, and how do you feel when that doesn't work out? Have you ever had times when you do that and you put that work in and you put that, that energy into trying to pull someone and then they just don't fucking want to come out do you get yeah. any resentment? Do you just get that Buddha like, hey, man, that's your journey. I just spent 40 hours trying to help you, and it was a waste, but that's cool. Like, where do, where no, do you go from there? Because I look on – it's always a question of control what you can and let go of what you can't control. And like – Good attitude. Um, and uh, it doesn't do me any good to, you know, uh, lose – like become super frustrated, lose frustration, become resentful right. over – things that I can't control. Like I did, I would, I, you know, and, and sometimes like my own boundaries can be a problem. Like I've recent, more in recent years of having to learn to draw boundaries in certain relationships because I want to like, like lift everybody up and pull everybody up. But there's sometimes when that can turn into codependence. Um, I think anyone so, who's ever had an addict in their life that they loved knows exactly what the fuck you're talking about. And a lot of times we don't really deal with that until we get older, that kind of stuff. But, um, also, I hope that people, I man, it's like fucking an hour into an episode or whatever, and this is going to be lost in the annals, but if anybody ever gets this deep and actually pays attention to what I'm doing with this show on a whole, I hope everyone knows, too, that a lot of times I ask questions from that kind of sardonic place of, um, I'm playing devil's advocate. I, I often don't ask questions from my own perspective. And I don't, and I'm not clear about that. And you, maybe more than most people in my life, know when I'm doing that. So I don't, I don't excuse it and say those little things as much of like, and this isn't what I think. I take it for granted that you understand. The same thing with my sarcasm, which can be very dry. I have to, I have to reckon with the fact that that's who I am. Um, but when I say all of this, of you know, challenging you and challenging me, and this has been a very personal episode. Um, because I don't get a lot of people on this show or even in my life. Like I said, I don't have a lot of people that I let really close to me because I don't, I feel, I feel that same urge that you're talking about. This is so funny. Cause I hadn't thought about it this way. The thing you're talking about socially where you're like, I recognize when I was there and I want to help other people who are there. And when I see them, I'm like, come on, man, I believe in you. Let me help you up. I don't feel that socially. I don't know how to help people with that. But I feel that way professionally in a really big fucking way. My roommate, Kyle, my previous uh, associate producer on my current show is now a field producer. Uh, there are countless people that I have tried to lift up professionally, that I've tried to be like, hey, man, you just need a chance. No one believes in you. Let me give you this responsibility. And, and, and you know, they've been keeping you at the same level because you're good at that and they don't want to lose you. Fuck that. Let them lose you move on, move up. You know, I talked to, I think I've told this story, but I, I once, um, almost talked our painter at caliber collision center, uh, into quitting his painting job to go make music for a living. And my boss was like, you gotta fucking stop talking to people, man. Um, because to me, it's like the current moment is so small and life is so big and why spend moment after moment after moment after moment doing the little thing when you have this big thing you want to do. And it's because 
I've had moments where I knew I had value and I'm standing outside the office being like, are they going to at least call me in for the fucking audition? Why won't you let, just give me a shot. Why won't you give me a shot? And they're like, oh, well, you've never done it before. And I'm like, so fucking what? I'm great at most things I try. Call somebody, give me a shot. And they wouldn't do it. And so when I see other people in that position, standing outside the door, waiting for their fucking interview, I'm like, I work in there now. So now I'm like, hey, do you see this kid out here? He's been waiting here for three years patiently. I pay attention to stuff like that because I recognize it in myself. But it's tough because, you know, I mean, those people that I named that I helped in that way, um, you know, are like they were at the wedding. Kyle was in my party. They're some of my closest friends. But it's really hard to build social friendships when you are impatient with other people's social insecurities. And I think that that's a tough thing for me to just like cope with. And I think my brain just kind of default, even though I throw a little tantrum every now and then, my brain does end up defaulting to, well, when you get to the party, we'll have a drink, man. And I understand it's a, it's a rocky road here, you know, to, to getting past all that. I don't have a map. You should talk to my friend, Brandon. He's very good at that. He can help you trod that road. But I, I don't know how to be around you until you get here. You know, it's just, it's just not, it's not in my wheelhouse. And unless I have some very specific reason or I'm hyper-focused like this and I'm like here, that's why I love doing fucking at the elephant so much. That's why I love this show because there are people that I thought I knew and I didn't because I didn't talk to them like this because this is the only way I ever really get to know anyone or anyone gets to know me. You know, and I think that one of the things that I'm jealous of you about is I think if you look at Brandon Tyler Harris from a distance for a while and then you get up in close, what you see is what you fucking get, dude. You're you're the real deal. You are an authentic person. You know, you could watch one of your parties like it's on The Sims and just fucking watch everybody interact. And then when you finally get everyone to go home and you sit down with Brandon, he's the same fucking guy he was when the room was full. And that's not something that I think uh, a lot of people can say about themselves. I'm not. You know why? Because when everyone leaves, I'm kind of an asshole. I'm like, how fucking boring is Kevin? I'm like, I was nice while he was here. I'm not going to be a dick to his face. But I can't erase the part of me that thinks he's boring. I don't know how to trick myself into not thinking that. And I'm so jealous of you for that because so many people like you better. (laughs) because you are genuinely interested in what they have to say and who they are. And that's, that's a special quality, man. I've tried to emulate it and duplicate it. And I just not who I am. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I, I'm certain I talked about it in the first episode, the whole mining people like you mine for gold. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the end of our first episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's the truth. I think like, I truly believe that, like everybody has something that I'd be interested in or some kind of value and, and just, and even like the inherent value of being a human being and like right. being like, you have a right to just be here and feel safe yeah. and feel valued and feel valued. Like you don't need to entertain me. You don't need to keep me interested. Like your inherent humanity is all that where you're required to have to be here. 
Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I don't want anyone to think that I think people are like less valuable because they're not like entertaining or have some quality. That's the one that's see, that's kind of my point, bro. Because my whole point that I've been trying to make takes that point you just made completely for granted. Like fucking Mm. yeah, like we're all people like you all have a right. And that's where I start. So for me, it's really hard to connect with people are like, you know, I've got friends that I went to school with that we went to school with who have been out of school for 10 years plus. I mean, Luke Smith is a great example. I fucking love Luke so much. His episode's one of my favorites. And his episode, the theme I really took away with it was, here's a guy who hasn't stopped acting since he was fucking like 11 years old. And even when he got out, he's been like professionally acting this whole time. And he still, in his 30s, is like, uh, I don't know if I could call myself an actor. And I'm like, what do you got to fucking do, man? Like to earn it. That's crazy because I would never do that. I call myself a comedian and I've, I've probably made, do that math really quick in my head, three grand doing stand-up ever in my life. Won a few contests, but I know how to do it. It is part of who I am. And you can't take that away because I don't have a Netflix special or I don't have like, fuck you. And so I start everywhere there. You have value. You're a person. You're standing in front of me. There's something special about you. There's something cool about you. Statistically, there's a good chance I'm not going to click with that one thing about you that is like, you're super cool about this. I'm super cool about that. Boom, we're best friends. That's compatibility. I'm not compatible with everybody, but I inherently think everyone is valuable. And that's why I have also said, if people notice, I don't just have people on at the elephants who have some amazing resume. I want to read back to them. That's not the point of the fucking show It's like, let's get someone who's entertaining on here. Like, no, I think every single story is valuable. Every single one. That's why I've always said I will talk to anybody on this show. I don't care if you did summer session. I don't care if you quit and became a carpenter. I don't yeah, I don't care. That story is interesting to me one-on-one. But as soon as there's more people in the room, everybody pulls back. Everybody gets more scared. They're judging themselves against way more people. You know, I'm working hard to put people at ease as best I can so we can talk about real shit. And then that makes one other person uncomfortable. So they're like, did you see the thing on TikTok? You know, now we're off the fucking rails talking about that. And it's it's tough for me to find value. Here, here's how I'll put it. It's not about the people. I find it extremely challenging in most situations I'm in socially. I do live in Los Angeles. I find it very difficult in a lot of social situations that I'm in where there are groups to find value in what most people have the impulse to talk about Mm. all night until someone maybe cracks open some and everyone wants to lean on that and they feel, and they feel comfort, honestly. And I don't want to take that from them. They feel comfort and safety in talking about TikTok, talking about, Hey, did you see succession? But whatever, this is the shit that I find boring to talk about. That to me, and also, I also get tired of hearing, I think another thing that gets to me that's tough is I don't want to have this. This is why I'm a bad comedian. I'm a comedian, fuck you, but I'm a bad comedian because I don't want to tell the same joke twice. You want to be a comedian, you got to build a set and you got to take it to town to town. 
relatively, unless you're the fucking Dave Chappelle or somebody, you're going to be doing the same show. You got to be able to tell the same joke. I don't want to have the same conversation more than once, really. And a lot of people want to talk about the thing they just witnessed three or four days ago, the, oh, the season finale of that show. And they want to go to every party and talk about the season finale of that show and have that same conversation. I know, fucking Bill Hader is fucking so crazy. I need, would you have thought when he was on SNL? Yeah, my, maybe, but I've, I've heard that conversation now four times. I don't want to watch that episode again. And so many people are, they feel comfort in rewatching that episode. And I don't want to take it from them. So I go home. <laughs> but you feel comfort in re- you feel comfort in rewatching Friends or I relate office? to it. That's why I don't want to take it from them. I get right. that comfort. I know what it's like to be in something familiar. But when I am out and trying to get stimulated because I have ADD and I want to be stimulated, I want to have fun. I want something to be entertaining. I'm I've bothered to leave the house. To me, it has a little bit of weight to be like. You know, I, I used to crack on my dad all the time because he makes the same jokes. You know, there's like dads who find three jokes and there's like, man, every chance they get, they say it again. Oh, I remember, I remember there are times in our relationship when you would, when I would do make make dad jokes and you would literally get annoyed with me. You're like, just don't do that. That's not funny. What are you saying? Right. And it was because you're, you were so invested in how to actually be funny. And right. I, I, like when it, whenever you're like your dad or even I was telling that joke, it wasn't actually to make you laugh. It's just because right. it makes me smile. And you're like, don't right. fucking do that. Like, that's right. not really funny. Don't waste right. your energy. Why are you wasting your breath like that? And I was like, because it makes me giggle. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt, no, you're totally right. And I've, I've had so much, which is so funny because I'm the fucking pun king of 90 Day Fiance, okay? I am the greatest <laughs> pun writer that might be on television right now. I'll say it. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Uh, I'm amazing. And I write most of them on the spot. So, so it's so funny and ironic that I used to give you a hard time about puns when that is most of what I do with my life and make my money with now. Uh, uh, that is most of what Will story does with his life. Yeah, that's He's a copywriter. true. Copywriter for BarkBox. He gets paid to name dog toys. He has spreadsheets yeah. on every dog associated word and yeah. how the puns can come. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, uh, I'm hoping I don't, I've, I sometimes am like, if I made all the dick jokes and then I realize that that's a stupid thing to even ask. And, and if that's true, then I'm done. Um, but you're right. There was a time when I was like, it felt like, and I know this is so silly because the whole point of, of comedy and laughter and then making people laugh is supposed to bring joy. It's supposed to be positivity. But when I was a kid, it felt like such a precious thing to me because it was, um, my love language, you know, it was the thing that I, um, worked hard on that I got good at. And I was a kid that everybody told was not, did not have value because I didn't get good at the things they wanted me to get good at. I got good at like talking to girls one-on-one and being funny. It was like the two only things I ever really worked super fucking hard on. Like I was, my life depended on it and it paid off. And so when I saw other people be flippant with things that I valued, you know, as a young person, you're like, don't touch that thing. That's my favorite thing. Don't touch it. Like, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I saw the tremendous value that comedy brings other people when you do give it attention, when you do, you know, do it with some skill and finesse. And I, and it felt like a waste for you to like have the pieces of something funny maybe, but not to take the time to put it together right so that it could have its maximum value. You know, it was like watching someone grow 
a plant and as soon as it sprouted one thing digging it up and throwing it away and you're like hey it could have been bigger you could have gotten a bunch of play like th- there was potential there and you squandered it because you don't care like i care and that's a young person's thought but when i see my dad do it my attitude is always like i think i and i i do think this i think it makes you a less funny person to be lazy with your comedy like if you and if you don't value that it's totally fine man it's your own thing but don't call yourself funny because you have eight jokes that always work uh i i i i yes you're funny subjectively but i mean it's like it's one of those things of it takes so much less energy than you think to come up with a new thing and to say it over and over again especially when there are people in the room who have already heard you say it it feels like it does you're right it does feel selfish it feels like oh you're just telling that joke for you i literally say at work all the time i'll make a joke it doesn't land and i'll go that one's for me and i like yeah you know but the intention was it was for someone else i wanted to share it it just didn't land the way i wanted so it ended up being for me and i think that i think that watching um those things change in the way that you and i deal with people is fascinating to me i'm never going to not be interested in that and i think the biggest journey for me personally and it sounds like for you too is just not judging yourself along that journey and and accepting that i don't know you know how hard it is to judge yourself when your impulse your real deep down authentic thought is i find everyone boring if you have any heart you're like oh god oh no i'm a piece of shit that's that's not a good I, if anyone else said that i'd be like geesh don't like that but i can't deny the fact that that is at when i really dig to the bottom of why i'm frustrated that's what's going on right and i, think, I have um, to just not judge that if i'm going to do anything with it yeah um i think probably there's a big part of me i mean where one of the reasons i don't get bored with people is just because i I so enjoy making people feel good and like making right. people feel at ease and safe and trying to coax the real person out of them, you know? Right. And I, and I don't, and I don't resent small talk at all. Cause it's just a dance, a dance that if I'm good enough at it, I can pull somebody out of themselves and get right. them to talk about something real, you know? Um, um, to me, it and, feels like cleaning up the kitchen after someone else made dinner, and it's the thing that's in the way before I can make my dinner. That's how it feels. It's like, can you clean up the kitchen so that we can cook a meal? It feels like work they didn't do. I'm being very yeah, judgmental, but, but I'm being honest with you right now because it's important to me. Fair, and I, I don't judge people negatively just because they don't have my capacity. Right. Like... Like we we each come from our own place and we each have our own struggles and and uh, our own blind spots and shit like that. Uh, but like, just because this this person in front of me doesn't feel super comfortable immediately, like getting talking big talking big talk talking about big ideas or like really opening up about the shit that's going on with them, and they feel they need some like coaxing. Like, I'm mad at that. Like I, I. I get, get it. You I've, get uh, it. Like I've been there. I've been, I've been right. there. I get it. I know that. I know what that's like. And so, how can we, how can we get, how can we work together to open things up? Because um, I bet you, underneath a little of that boring ass dirt, there's something in there that I'm that, that's going to be 
really of course there is and i want to say that i think that shit is in there i really do i think there's something I, in there I, at the very least and i just like the da- i like the dance and like right you like the game if you're more if you're more i love games something we I haven't know. really touched on in here i fucking love games right um uh and games as a a ritual and tool for community as well oh of course yeah side note but like i've hosted a dungeons and dragons game for 11 years right uh weekly and that's as much about uh doing group communal effort in group communal storytelling and imagination play group play that gets people beyond themselves and beyond their own self-consciousness because that's what what's what what a lot of what you're trying to do is just get somebody beyond their self-consciousness get their focus off of them because everybody's think everybody's so afraid of what everybody else is thinking about about uh about you spoiler alert most people aren't thinking about you like that's the other thing that i've always i'm always trying to tell people that i that's the battle that i face and that's why i'm so often unaware about how other people perceive me because I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what they might be thinking about me. And then at the end of the day, I end up in some of those situations where the whole, you know, I leave and someone's like, you know, they all feel this way about you, right? Like, this is how you come off to them. And I'm like, what? Why? It's usually negative. I'm like, what are you talking about? What? That? And it's usually batshit wrong like crazy wrong because i said something sardonically that they mistook as sincere or 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 because go ahead i you you reminded me of something mm-hmm. yeah i might again I, I might have mentioned this in the first episode but uh years ago i had a therapist for years who was like one of the most brilliant humans i've ever met and at one point in our therapy, she offered me something. She was like, "Brandon, I don't, I don't think most people realize how intelligent you are because you like to make people feel good, mm, and you, yeah. and I will literally like, like I don't need to be seen as the smartest person in the room. And in fact, I, a lot of times I like to like I'm not going to make myself look stupid, but like, no, but you go covert, man. People think you're, I, yeah." I go. I, I absolutely, I absolutely go covert. Like, because if I seem really, really fucking intelligent, that can put some people make them feel insecure. And I don't want to make you feel insecure. I want you to have the bandwidth to uh, allow your natural talents and to, to blossom or whatever. Um, yeah, I can't imagine and, taking on that responsibility. And so, like, and so, like, I, I truly do not feel the need to for other people to like like see me as like super intelligent so i'm right. like my, my intelligence will do the work behind the scenes um sure. and i can code and i can code switch and if i end up with like really smart people i'll code switch and talking with them what um, brought that up in this case um uh where were you, where were you oh, damn uh it was i was talking about uh, oh you're talking about uh you know, being like being bored with people and how you can sure. come off. Yeah, I, how, how unaware I am about about how, how people unaw- perceive yeah. me. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and and I guess I wouldn't say because I think I am much more aware of how people perceive me. 
right. but I don't I don't put a tremendous amount of like stock and insecurity about whether or not that's positive or like like positive or negative. But right. I use it as a tool of like, uh, let me think about how, consider how they see me so that I can put them at ease. Like, yeah. how can I incorporate this to help put them at ease? And it's so, dude, you're absolutely right because I'm not motivated by putting people at ease. I don't yeah, care about that. I am. Like, I want them to be at ease, but I do not take on that responsibility at all. I don't see that as a thing that I need to worry about. There's so many other things in life that my is in my brain that I care about, that I'm worried about in that moment. And like I said, I think it comes to that kind of like, I am very community on so many things. I think we should have public health care. I think we should have good public schools. I'm like, man, I believe you take care of every single person. That's that Christian shit we started in. You take care of every single person, especially the people who were born without the things they need. Jesus, like fucking help out. Get that. Your social growth, I will support when you come to me, but like a proactive approach to helping other people grow socially, feel more comfortable socially, interact socially. It's, it's a, I don't know if I know how to teach it because I've never experienced it. If it's, it's not, not, or, and at least if I have, it was so long ago that I've pushed it out. I don't remember what it was like to feel that way. Because like I said, even when I was insecure, I had the faith in myself. I just also had the judgment of the faith. You're not allowed to believe in yourself. It's not okay. Once I let go of that and I let the belief and the faith shine, like I said, it is about really hoping other people catch up because I feel like I'm now using that to do this. That's where the energy is going. And it feels like a almost a libertarian mindset, which I'm not about everything, but I am about some stuff. I am about language, you know. Uh, everybody uses language their own way. Tell other people how to use it. I used to tell you all the time, like, that's not a word. I don't do that anymore. Do whatever you want. I don't care. Say whatever you want. Because don't tell me what to say. That's where that started to come in. People started to be like, you can't say this. I'll be like, how about we go back to it? You say what you want to say. I'll say what I want to say. We'll keep it fucking different. And I actually, this is the last piece of that. I get entertainment and joy out of people being uncomfortable. I really do. Uh, I, I think really... Think really like it be. when people are socially like ah, ah, ah it's entertainment for me mm. and i think that is like perhaps a core difference because i yeah. see somebody uncomfortable and i'm like hey bud how can we how can we uh how can we make this come make you feel comfortable now let me be clear about this let me be in, uh let me be clear about this because uh if someone is sad and alone in the corner and being neglected I'm not like, <laughs> loser. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you um, are, let's, let's make a crazy example of a situation I've never been in. We're at a table at the church where we grew up. And I'm like, so if two guys are butt fucking each other, you guys have a problem with that? And the whole room goes, oh, I'm clutching my pearls. What did you say? A swear and also a gay? I'm like, that uncomfortability? Not just based in bigotry, but in that you shouldn't have said that. You're not allowed to love it. I want them to squirm. I want them to squirm so bad because I'm like, it's it's my way of being like, I, I'm I'm fighting against the people who make these conversations harder. We're talking about real shit. It makes you uncomfortable, and so we can't talk about it. 
And there's too many things in this world that are like that. And I am passionately against the stigmatization of certain language, of certain topics, of certain, we could talk about anything, but we don't. We talk small talk because if we want to talk about something that makes you uncomfortable, we have to play the fucking game that Brandon's good at until we get to the real thing. And some people, you're right, you play the game long enough, you get them there. Great. That's good. And I'm glad you're doing that work in this world because I would much rather rattle the cages of those people so that they either loosen the fuck up, or let's be honest, far more likely, shut the fuck up so we can talk about the people who want to butt fuck. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. Like, I, the, you know, I watch your mom's house with Tom Segura and Christina P. And a big part of that show is they bring people on and show them clips from the internet in a segment called Horrible or, or Hilarious, where like adults get like really hurt. Uh, and the question is like, is it funny that that guy fell off the dock or is that just horrible? Oh my God. That's the whole segment. And part of Tom Segura's joy on the show is watching the guests squirm. Is they're like, why would you show me this? And his thing is a little bit, and I read his book. So he really got into why he's there. He's like, because the fact that you're uncomfortable with it in the first place is where that starts. It starts with that. And it starts with my urge to, end that as best I can. And for me, sometimes it's, it is that uncomfortability taking that away from you. doesn't feel like it's going to help to me. And I think my strategy is different. Right. Um, I, as my strategy is to make, like take those uncomfortable issues and make them comfortable. Mm. Like, like I don't think that's possible all the time. I just, I disagree. I mean, maybe not all the time, but incremental. I mean, this is, I'm an incrementalist. Right. And this you is are. That's the difference between the two of us. This is, why I'm a, this is why I'm a Biden guy and you're a Bernie guy. Like, yeah. like I believe in like coalition and like seeing the, the bounds of what's possible in your belief system and, and for, and slowly pushing the bounds of, uh, you know, slowly pushing the bounds of, of what's possible in terms of like, uh, you know, you're right. I wouldn't approach a bunch of people at church like that. Cause I don't, cause I think it's just going to reinforce their, it's just going to upset them and, and then reinforce their stereotypes. And, and there is an inherent underneath that there's an inherent, sh uh, shaming for having a certain belief, right? And when you someone is shamed for having a certain belief, they're not going to mostly they're not they're going to become defensive. And well, they're I'm not, not going to snap back they, at they, those they will, people until yeah, right. I'm not going to snap back at those people until they respond negatively. It starts with an opportunity, right? right. But like, like if I mean, they choose bigotry, I don't have a problem. I don't have to shame them loudly and say you're a piece of shit. I'm not going to do that. Most, but their own discomfort is that shame that they're experiencing. I didn't do that. I mean, most like a lot of a lot of their bigotry, uh, they don't see as bigotry. Of and course, you have not. to let and you well and and you have to like allow them to like see their own and re like recognize their own shortcomings, as opposed to putting them into a d defensive mode where they suddenly go, "Well, fuck you." Then you don't know, think like if you call it like you know like the the Trump reaction. That's their, not Trump what reactionism. I would do. I would never I mean, be well, like, fuck you. Right. But like, 
like it's not it's not what happens after i say it to, i don't say anything else in this example in this example it is the discomfort they feel in the moment after i say the uncomfortable thing that they're like oh i feel gross because he said that i'm not gonna then shame them call them a piece of sh there is no next step in this example just for the 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 hyper focused example of what i'm talking about that brings me joy it is knowing that they are uncomfortable when they confront the thing that they don't understand. And they're like, oh, get this thing away from me. I'm probably not equipped to make them look at it and hold it with love and tenderness when they hate it already. I don't know how to do that. People like you and like Jimmy Tallarico and people who are like patient and shit like that can do that in the world. What I do is I remind them they're uncomfortable as often as I can. And when I'm uncomfortable over and over and over again and my ass keeps itching, I take a fucking shower because I don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. The easiest way to remain in their position is to never encounter the thing that makes them uncomfortable. They never have to deal with it. They can go live somewhere where that's not really okay. They can go to church where everybody agrees that that's not okay. And no one reminds them that they're on the wrong side of history. And I don't want to yell at them because I don't think shaming people out loud by being like, you piece of shit, you Trumper motherfucker. I would never do that. I talk, I, I shit talk people that do that all the time. It's not helpful. I don't blame people for how they feel about stuff outwardly, but I'm not going to stop bringing it up. And I might bring it up one extra time just because I know it ribs you because I don't want to let you off the hook. I don't want to let you live in the bubble where the thing doesn't get to you. Cause it's out no, here, I, baby. Well, no, and I, I like in terms of self censoring, so that you don't make people uncomfortable. I completely agree. I completely agree. You shouldn't. One should not. Uh, the, the the example of the story. It seemed like it was a. It's a comment that is intended to shock and offend. Yep. Whose intention is to do so. Correct. Right? And I. And I, I could say two uh, men making love, but I chose to be more graphic because I want to remind them that if that phrasing bothers them, that it bothers them. Right. And like, yeah, I guess I'm not someone who usually uses a tactic of shock and offend. Like, right. I, I don't like, like, I am not, I'm going to do my best not to, uh, be inauthentic like I don't, I don't want to compromise who i am and right. i don't want to be inauthentic in any way and i don't want to lie and i don't want to morph who i am to make you comfortable but i'm also likely not like uh, my strategy i'm also not going to proactively try and make you feel uncomfortable right right like um because i think that once people's defenses are up a lot less progress can be made sure um uh in terms of but I feel like I'm setting well, and, them up and, and for think, you later, man. <laughs> I'm not there to make the progress. I'm there to right. uh, to to smack them around a little bit so that later when they're ready for that progress, they encounter someone like you or someone like well, my and, wife and like, who's going to be patient with them and help hold their hand through the journey. And, and I want to take issue with this, just the inherent idea that we are the bearers of wisdom, that they – that we are like they're wrong and we're uh, right sure that they're wrong that they're wrong and we're right like like there's an i, I want to be open to an active exchange of dialogue information perspectives that and if you want them to 
to hold the space and capacity to be wrong and grow. You have to hold the space and capacity to be wrong and grow. You just have to be comfortable that you can win the argument. Like yeah, in terms I'm not, of like not not making it an argument, but like like uh uh so I don't know. But just, in that just, case, as we, ta- as we talk, out, as we talk about this, this, the, this, I, yeah, I just wanted to. I take issue with the idea that like we are the bearers of wisdom and truth that we have to get through their defenses. And it's, no, it's, I agree it's, with it's that. About opening up a an energetic honesty and dialogue and exchange in which people can have a real, meaningful back and forth. I think that's true, especially as it relates in that example to the bigotry at play. But what I'm more talking about is less of that, and it's more about the language and the concepts. If another guy, okay, I can't believe I used this terrible example. I wish I'd come up with another one, but we're too far down the rabbit hole for me to abandon it now. If a guy at that table then speaks up calmly and says, yeah, I think two men buttfucking each other is a sin. It's wrong. I don't like it. I'm like, okay, we are in the middle of a conversation. Let's have a conversation. The thing that I'm fighting against is not even the bigotry, because you're right. Bigotry is a... Is, uh, uh, triumphed over with patience time understanding empathy bro i get that i'm not so short-sighted again people are hearing the sardonic devil's advocate as i talk to you but what i am more pushing against in that example the thing that brings me joy the thing that i'm doing the thing that i'm pushing i'm poking at it's not the bigotry that's a second problem the first one is your discomfort with the conversation you won't even, you hear certain words and you cringe. You hear certain thoughts and you're like, no, I think I'm right about that. I think that is not helpful. No matter who you are, I am, I am waiting for someone to give me an inkling of understanding on how that is healthier. But I am married to a Korean woman and her entire family is incredibly successful and talented. Their blind spot is emotional communication. Their blind spot is talking about things that make them uncomfortable. And almost all their fucking problems come from that shit, man. They just don't talk about the things that they don't want to talk about. They don't say the words that hurt their feelings. It's the Voldemort thing, man. You're giving him the fucking power when he who must not be... His name's fucking Tom. Let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. Let's take that power away. If if the word buttfuck hurts your ear so much, calm down. Relax. I mean, fair, They're words, I mean, dude. To be fair, the thing about, like, well, Voldemort's name is Tom, that's saying that people don't have a right to rename themselves. And I think that's, uh, you know... The fuck out of here with that. You know that's not my point. <laughs> I know. I'm just being um, um, <laughs> He, and let's be clear, he is named Tom. No, that's not what the fuck I'm saying. <laughs> they are named Voldemort. Okay, I didn't mean to dead name the Dark Lord. Um, um, I hear, no, I hear your point, but I, I really, to me, like I said, to be hyper-specific about where I'm at so that I don't come across as someone who's like this you know, loud, woke dude who doesn't listen. I'm so not, I'm the opposite of that. And someone's going to hear this episode and do exactly what the fuck I said earlier and be like, that guy's this way. Um, but I'm not. No, it, it comes from that place of like, you know, it comes from my family, man. It comes from my family. Um, you know, we're both from old Southern people. Um, even your family, old parents, you know, 
and it's it's in all sorts of different cultures. It's really big in the Latino culture. It's really big in um, the Asian cultures, um, and it's really big in the American South, which is we are not ready to talk about our feelings. That horrible thing that happened years ago, we don't talk about it. I didn't even know I had a second uncle until I had two digits in my age because no one wanted to tell me he was in prison for murder. So let's just pretend like he doesn't exist. And I have seen too many things in my life and too many people erased because people are uncomfortable and they're waiting for you to come along and say, what's up, buddy? How can we get to that? And, and no one's there. And I don't know how to talk to them like that. So all I know how to do is be authentic. And if I notice that they're a little jittery, a little cringy when a certain thing comes up, rather than pull back, I stand a little bit stronger at that fence saying, hey, you're not off the hook. Other people may let you live in a world where that's not a thing. I'm not going to do that. And no, I'm not going to make an appointment and go to that church and yell buttfuck at the table. Like I'm not, I would have to have a reason to be there in all of that, you know, of that example. But like you said, self-censorship is really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about, you know, I say fuck a lot. Do I say it around my grandma? No. Did I do an episode of At the Elephants recently where someone was like, I want to share your content, so I need it to be wholesome. And I was like, okay. I met them where they wanted it to be as best I could because I saw the value in that compromise. But the people who want me to compromise my language or compromise what I want to talk about or 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 any of the, compromise any of that in any way because it makes them uncomfortable to hear it, I couldn't care less about that. And I do feel righteous about like, okay, let me know when you're not afraid of words anymore. Like their words, their tools are their weapons, man. And I'm not over here hurting anybody with my words. I'm not, I'm not stabbing. I'm just talking about stuff. And I think even taking it back from something extreme like bigotry or whatever, taking it back to something simple like, you know, I was at a conversation. This maybe we can kind of end on this. I was at a dinner party once and um, this girl was really excited about getting into NYU. She had no money to go. Anyone who's listening, NYU is one of the most expensive universities in the world. She was very excited about getting there and she was getting ready to take out fucking mad loans every single year to do it. And I was like, for what? She was like acting. And I was like, they do have a good school. And I was like, you live here in Los Angeles, California already? She was like, yeah. I was like, and you're going to move to New York and you're going to borrow quarter million dollars to go to the school so that you can come back to LA? Yeah. And the table wanted to congratulate her for getting into NYU. I wanted to tactfully plant doubt in her mind. <laughs> I didn't want to talk her out of it. That's not my place. We're from Texas, buddy. We don't fucking tell people what to do. I want to be clear about that. I say that every fucking day to my wife. I don't tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. We talk to each other. I don't tell people what the fuck to do. But I was trying to plant some fucking doubt. I was just like asking follow-up questions. Oh, it's cool. So like you, are you going to take out loans or do you know like how you're going to pay for that? Or like, you know, I'm kind of going to, and they're being delicate, but every other person at the table, there's probably six or seven of us. Every other person, but me is trying to redirect the conversation 
oh, New York is so cool. You're going to love it. Oh my God, you're right by the fucking Union Square. Like they just are building the dream up and up and up and up and up because that's fun. What's not fun is to talk about the reality of it, but that's the most interesting thing to me. And it's the thing I have the most to contribute to this conversation. No one else at the table knew anything about what it was like to take out fucking quarter million dollar loans to pay for school or to move to New York City to be an actor or to go to a school like that. I know all those things from my experience and the people on this fucking show that we know so well. I couldn't do it, man. They just weren't ready to hear it. It was so much more fun for them to build it up. Positivity. Good luck, girl. It's going to be great. And maybe it will. Maybe it will. But I left sad. <laughs> I left thinking about that girl's future. Your reaction? Um, I do think that there is a virulent strain of toxic positivity that runs through our culture at the moment um mm. which i have which i've you done know a lot, lot about to, oh yeah i've done a lot in therapy figuring out how i was stoked and inundated in toxic positivity mm -hmm. um with and reckoning with uh reckoning with the ways that the things I really love about my attitude towards the world and how I uh, walk through it and reckoning with the ways in which toxic positivity has hurt me. I read a great article recently that was like, it's the antidote to toxic positivity is tragic optimism. Um, what does that mean? It's this thing of like, life is, life is, can be terrible and suffering and, and painful and horrible. And yet there is so much beauty when that can be found if you try, but mm. like, Dude, that's except, me. Except that life can be terrible and awful and painful and don't lie about that. Thank but you. like yeah. be a like, you know, to take it back to the like the, the, the Don Quixote kind of thing of like you can strive for beauty and to see the beauty and to see the good in people without being blind to the evil and shit that exists. It's so um, hard. You're right, but it's so hard, you know? And I think that one yeah. of the things, too, is we all are our own enemies in that fight, which is so tough because it's like at that table, it was it, it was, it was everything in me and just not to be like, can you all shut the fuck up about this stupid shit nobody cares about? This girl's about to throw a fucking half of her adult financial life away on – NYU acting school, which God damn, if you've got a free ticket, go, but fuck dude, that's a very expensive line of training for anything, for anything. So, if I spent that much money, I better be a fucking doctor on the way out, man. I, Jesus lawyer, Christ. Man. Yeah. To, to, to spend that money that you don't have on a trade, it was everything in me not to scream, but it wasn't my place. And I didn't want to be even weirder than I already was trying to have this other conversation that clearly no one wanted to have but me and there is a capital there's a capitalistic immorality about how much some schools uh charge for certain degrees like yeah and because they're like well it's what the market will bear right people will pay it right and there is actually an immorality in in student loan companies being willing to let a 17 18 19 year old put themselves into a quarter million dollars worth of debt when they don't fucking understand what that means. 
but they won't let you um, buy a quarter million dollar house that's worth right. <laughs> property right. like you actually have and will appreciate and um they won't even approve you for a fucking trailer park when you're 18 no you're right man yeah. and i think that first of all i really appreciate you having this conversation with me because i obviously i value uh a deep conversation, but also because I feel like the, these conversations, one of the reasons, and this is next level. I'm not trying to talk about this shit at every dinner party I'm at, but this shit is, it, it is the work that we do to better understand each other in the world. And I know I often play Judas to your Jesus just because you're such a great fucking Jesus in my life. Like that, you know, and I of course always think of Christ's story through the lens of Jesus Christ superstar. I'm, I'm always the Judas screaming at you. Like you can't do it this way. We have to try the other thing. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, fuck, he's mostly right. Um, but, but, um, is one of the reasons why I like, talking to you because the truth is what a lot of people don't know about me is once I hang up the phone with you, I go back to being far more like you than I am when I'm talking to you. I, I push myself so far to the like cynical people are boring. Like I hit that so much harder and I'm so much more patient and real with, with people when I'm not talking to you, but it's because like I said, I find so much value in pushing ourselves through that discomfort that feeling of, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah, you probably should. Like that's yeah. probably the yeah. thing you need to talk about. The thing, and the thing that you're most uncomfortable talking about is the thing that you have the most to learn from, most to grow with. I agree. And that's why I enjoy talking to you about my own shortcomings, which is one of the things that makes me uncomfortable because I do think I have a lot of value. I do have arrogance and confidence and I can be a smug bastard sometimes. I know that. <laughs> but I also, of course, do have doubts and i think one of my biggest doubts as we mentioned earlier is i worry i'm not a good dude i worry these feelings i have about other people this judgment i carry while still saying things like stop shaming people don't tell people what to do leave them the fuck alone like i have all that other stuff in there at the same time and you're one of the only people i feel comfortable talking that stuff out with because i feel like i have permission to go all the way to the most asshole side of me and you're not going to be like Oh no, he sucks. And <laughs> like, stop talking, stop talking to me forever. I, it's a, yeah. it's a safety thing. It's that same thing you give those people at that party. Yeah. Like, and you know, making somebody know that, you know, they're loved and valued and accepted the way they are. And with you goes like beyond that. We've been friends for well, like you're my oldest friend, like uh, right. longest friend, you know? Um, right. But I do take care to try to be entertaining and, <laughs> give you value true. so i'm fucking trying over true. here man true. Uh, i don't want to waste your time um no, uh, and i know um, i don't and i really no, I, I really appreciate you like being willing to uh, yeah being willing to go to those places and and i try do my damnedest to be comfortable talking about anything you do a great um, job man i wouldn't be able to do this without you so it was fun um, it was fun um well i the, i don't know when exactly this episode will come out um whenever you're someone's listening to this uh i hope that you found joy in it i know it was long and i know that um i particularly get kind of long-winded with you but that's also because i know when i finally volley it back to you you're going to return as much as i do um and i i hope that everyone finds value in this um 
I told you not to tell me what the fuck to do. Okay. I don't hold up your little listen tattoo as some piece of advice, bitch. Uh, no, it's fucking great advice. No, it's really, everybody should listen. <laughs> it's a really good thing. Um, I'm just like, I may not be an actor, but I'm just like one man. You give me the line reading. Fuck you. Let me find it. Um, <laughs> um, thank you so much. I love you. And um, I'll be back soon. All right. Love you, brother. Love you too.